good day to you. Um, first of February, uh, Philip de Kock signing on. I'm still a little bit fluish, um, but much better. And frankly, I can't believe that it's already the second month of the year of this leap year. Uh, today I'm going to take a bit of a deviation and uh, talk to you about managing wicked projects and specifically uh, what it takes to manage such a project and also the role of the change uh, practitioner, change specialist or as it all also is called the change uh, 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 manager. So let me just explain first of all what I mean by a wicked project. Wicked projects are projects where there is not really a benchmark of how to address uh, <laughs> the future of the project. The, it's not something that you can just plan out linearly um, or in a linear fashion. Um, it is usually a project that is already in trouble, maybe behind schedule. The wicked projects I worked with um, as I mentioned also in my previous podcast, the one was four years behind. We could not salvage that one, but the other one was four months behind. I was the project manager on that one, and I also played the role of the change manager. And I think from that project specifically, I learned quite a bit about uh, how to manage these wicked projects. And I made a little um, infographic, which I've already post it on my LinkedIn profile and I will also post it on the Change Lab uh, group. But for me there are two levels. The first level is the foundation level. Um, the things that you have to get in place uh, and get right before you can move on to the second level which will then enable that wicked project to become a, something that you can plan for, a more linear planning type of thing. Those foundational things are, first of all, is that you have to create a climate where people can speak what I call ground truth. Um, Susan Scott wrote uh, two wonderful books. The one is Fierce Conversations, the other one uh, Fierce Leadership. And she uses the phrase, people should stop pretending not to know. Um, that's the first thing is that it needs to be a project that is very open where people and I've experienced it often that you know people tend to not to lie outright but they tend to sort of just withhold the full truth you need to establish a climate uh, where people can really get down to the ground truth um, and and it therefore you have to deal with the things that are totally wrong, that are unacceptable. But then you need to go ahead and say, let's get to the real issue. I can remember a project that I managed um, on a big multi-billion construction project and the procurement section uh, got a red audit. And what uh, happened is they fired the people who were outright fraudulent. But then after that, the project manager said, look, no more witch hunts. Let's go and go for nine weeks. They got a specialist team in. That was us. I was the project leader or project manager. Got specialists in and we went through those uh, contract files. Um, when you work on these big projects, 
<coughs> there's a lot of things that you need to look at. You need to look at guarantees. You need to look at concessions. Concessions, for instance, if there is a break, a stoppage, that the contractors cannot really take responsibility for, then they need to be compensated, things like that. And we got specialists in and we highlighted everything. We took each and every file. And then what we did was to say, okay, let's now take those files <coughs> and uh, use it as a training vehicle. So we got each and every in and said, look, these are the mistakes, go and fix it and come back and tell us what you've done and show us what you've done. No witch on. So they were, there was a climate of ground truth. Um, to be able to do that, obviously, um, you need to get the right people uh, on board. <coughs> <coughs> you cannot have people on there that, uh, that are political players. They need to, to really buy into this. And even people who challenge you. Um, it's that old saying, it's easier to cool down a fanatic than to raise a corpse. You know, you have to get the right people on it. The second thing is that usually with these projects, there's a lot of issues outstanding, unresolved problems. Usually you have an issue register and you find that the lead time for resolving those issues are behind. This is a wonderful mechanism to achieve two things. The one is to create transparency and secondly, to drive those down relentlessly because by doing that for your user community, for the recipients, uh, the beneficiaries of your project. That shows that you are really doing something. Um, you must also visualize the, pro uh, the progress. It creates credibility. It allows you to get a real feel to do, to use the jargon, to do a deep dive into the project. Um, and you can use that credibility, that transparency as leverage for other things to negotiate in future. <clears throat> and then the third thing, obviously, on this, let's call it foundational things, that you need to address is that you have to get rid of bad habits. Um, the, f the obvious one is unproductive meetings. Again, these projects, like most projects in fact, have a, uh, a history of unproductive. You can just go through the agendas and the um, minutes of meetings and you can see if there's a lot of stuff being carried over uh, then you realize there's no implementation, things like that. So look at those things. Um, <coughs> a culture of blaming. Stop blaming, as I mentioned in the procurement project. There was no blaming. It was just non-negotiable, relentless. Here's the problem. Go and fix it. Come back. Um, the outcome of that project is that we turned a red audit around to a green audit in a question of three or four months was an internal audit. And then look at change orders. That's now not like in people change management, but change orders. Um, when you have uncontrolled change orders, there's something wrong with the specifications. And again, yeah, as a change manager or a change practitioner, you should have enough uh, project management knowledge to be able to pick up on these things and to realize that if you have uncontrolled changes, something is wrong. There's maybe differences about uh, design and things like that, and you need to play a facilitator role to fix that. Once you have those three things 
in place then i would say you can start building and creating what i call a critical frontier for success and the first thing there for me is you need to build leadership skills for everybody but very specifically for the sponsor and your steering committee or your project board as it's sometimes called it's a it's a non-negotiable issue they need to play their rightful role um, and you need to play an influence as a change practitioner play an influencing role there the second part there is that you need to cultivate this um, uh, culture this climate of ultra transparency i always say to people a project with problems is much better than a project with secrets um, the the nice thing about that is if all the problems are on the table there's less uh, things that you can uh, uh, can sort of be uncertain about things that you can start anticipating in other words you are not surprised every off so often there's less crises and the only way that you can achieve it is to put everything on the table it's again that ground truth thing and then the third one and this the last one for this podcast is train train and train again um, everybody and th- that includes the project team the team that must uh, take responsibility your change uh, advocates your change leaders that's your sponsor but also other people who actually are, are responsible for the implementation of the changes that old dictum that says you cannot fire a cannon from a canoe you have to build the capacity so that you can do what you need to do so that is the way for me how i manage wicked projects and the few that i have um, been involved in uh, created success for me so there you go thanks signing off for today and hopefully you will listen to my other podcasts thanks <laughs>